So it all boils down to MS. We have to search for the truth, no matter what it is. And it's our responsibility. The people who are at the Chet Eul could not say, well, listen, I was No, you were, every one of them was responsible to say one second. Aaron O'Kain is giving me advice, but the Torah says, uh, no, I have Yeshua Benun. I should have switched over to Yeshua Benun. So everyone is responsible. Putting the responsibility on somebody else will not absolve you from your own personal responsibility. I'm Scott Kahn. And this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. One of the most important conflicts that many Orthodox Jews face in the 21st century is the clash between authority and autonomy. Orthodox society is largely based upon following the tradition that has been handed down to us, and that tradition is often seen to be largely in the possession of great scholars. Accordingly, it seems like a violation of Torah principles to ignore the directives of Gedolei Torah and to do whatever we want instead. On the other hand, autonomy, that is the ability and right and even obligation to make our own decisions, is one of the most cherished values of Western society. That makes the question of the clash between autonomy and authority something that we likely deal with almost every day. But autonomy is not just a modern value that's necessarily in conflict with Torah thinking. In fact, autonomy is also an important Jewish value as well. Over Shabbat, I was reading an important new book entitled Perpetuating the Mesorah, which is a collection of five essays by Rabbi Professor Yitzchak Tversky Zatzal, edited by Rabbi Karmi Horowitz and Rabbi David Shapiro. I'd like to read a brief passage from the first essay in the volume, entitled Raise Up Many Disciples. A third prerequisite for Hamidu Talmidim Harbei, Raise Up Many Disciples, is that there must be an effort to instill self-confidence in the students of Torah, in the Talmidim. Colloquially, this idea is expressed as ha'amidu talmidim, literally, raise up, that is, let them stand on their own two feet. The teacher should help the talmidim achieve independence by elevating them and encouraging them to develop, and not to remain dependent, both intellectually and spiritually. An illustration of this can be found in the Gemara in Bava Batra. One who has a sick person in his house should go to a wise man and yivakesh alav rachamim, he will ask for mercy. Who is the subject of Yivakesh? Who will ask or pray and for whom? Now this would sound like a Hasidic Gemara, a Gemara with a Hasidic orientation. But this is not so. This does not mean that you should ask the Chacham, the wise person, to pray for you, or for the sick person in your house. The Meiri explains the Gemara in the following way. A person should have no doubt that sincere, meaningful prayer is effective and achieves its goal. And if a person suffers from any adversity such as having a sick person in his household or other types of adversity, he should learn from the Chacham how to pray properly. Then this needy, distraught person, the one suffering from adversity, should pray for himself. That is the mandate and function of a Chacham, to enable the other, the student, to act correctly with independence and not to perpetuate a state of dependence. In contrast to the attitude that Rabbi Tversky describes over here in this essay, It sometimes seems that too often many Orthodox Jews enjoy living in a state of pure dependence, where independent thinking is anathema. Yet as Orthodox Jews, we dare not ignore the tradition and do whatever we want without regard for what anyone else says. This raises many questions. What is the definition of rabbinic authority? How autonomous can and should each of us be? Do I have the right to make halachic decisions on my own? What about in areas of hashkafa or public policy? Can the gedolim insist that I act a certain way? And do I have the right to defy them? I asked these and many other questions to Rav Chaim Ozer Chait, and he offered some fascinating insights, as well as stories from his time studying with Rav Moshe Feinstein and others. We'll get to that conversation in a moment. First, let me remind you to share this podcast, rate the Orthodox Conundrum, and write a review on Apple Podcasts, and let us know what you think on the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Check out jewishcoffeehouse.com for the Orthodox Conundrum and other great podcasts, and remember to subscribe to them on your favorite podcast provider. I have started a substack entitled Orthodox Conundrum Commentary, and I invite you to read my most recent article, Bilam, Ephron, and the Oakland A's and Jews. The link is in the description of this podcast, so get your free subscription today. The Orthodox Conundrum is looking for sponsors, either to promote your business or organization, or in somebody's honor or memory. If you would like to reach thousands of listeners every week, write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com.
Thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers who have access to bonus Jewish Coffeehouse podcasts, merch, and more. You should join our Patreon team too. The link is in the description of this podcast. Finally, if you don't have a podcast, you're missing out on the best new way to reach hundreds and thousands of engaged listeners. But if you want to start a podcast, you need to make sure that it's really good, both in terms of content and production values, so that you will be noticed among all the other podcasting options out there. If you have opinions that you want to share with a large group of people, or a growing business that's looking for a great new marketing tool, or an organization that's looking to reach hundreds and thousands of captivated listeners, you should have a podcast and one that is of the highest quality, and we can help you make that happen. Contact me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com to learn how we can help you make a high-quality, effective, and entertaining podcast. Rabbi Chaim Ozer Chait studied extensively under Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik. He's a pioneer and visionary in the importance of balancing learning Torah with general studies. Rabbi Chait has spent his life in Torah education, serving as Judaic advisor to the New York State Department of Education, chairman of Judaic studies at Rockland Community College, and founder of Yeshiva Michmas, Israel. He served as Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva of Virginia for a decade before returning to Israel to become one of the founders of Yeshivat Migdal HaTorah. Rabbi Chaim Ozer Chait, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Okay, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm happy to uh, contribute wherever I'm able to contribute. Rabbi Chait, as Orthodox Jews, we believe that the Mesorah, the oral tradition, as transmitted through the generations, is the basis for our lives as Torah-observant people. And while the Torah Shabbat, the oral law, is now almost entirely written down in the Mishnah, Gemara, and later commentaries and codes— the idea of rabbinic authority still remains an important value. In the West, where the ideal of personal autonomy has become almost sacrosanct, this can cause major conflicts for Jews who value both tradition and the ability to think for themselves. So with that introduction, I'd like to start off with a preliminary question. How, Rabbi Chait, would you define appropriate rabbinic authority in 2023? Okay, uh, I would uh, say that the rabbinic authority is... Uh, Following the normal tradition, there are there are uh, Tamidi Chachamim, our scholars, who guide us, who uh, paskin uh, shilas for us, and and lead us. Uh, with that said, uh, we also have to keep in mind that autonomy is one of the basic responsibilities that are given to every, each and every single Jew. Everyone has to learn Torah and has to understand what he's doing. And the final decision, what he wants to do is really uh, up to him. And, and, and in other words, let me just give you an example. Sometimes you ask a Shaila to two different Rabbanim and you get uh, two different Tamitacham and you get two different answers. One says Muta, one says Asa. So what do you, where do you go from there? Uh, how, how do you base your decision on what to do? So one rule is, if you're not sure, you follow who your Rebbe is and you follow his his uh, his halacha, his psak halacha. But let's say a person reviews, he, he decides he wants to look into the topic himself, and he takes out uh, the Gemara, the Rishonim, and goes back and forth to his Rebbeim, and finally comes to a realization that his Rebbe did not give him the advice that he feels comfortable with. Uh, what should he do then? Then it's clear that he has to follow his own decision. He went through the topic very well, and this is what he feels clearly is the Psaq Halacha. He spoke to both of them, and he heard both sides of the coin, and the following uh, decision that he has reached is that his rabbi did not give him the Psaq that he is comfortable with, and he wants to follow the other Talmud Chacham. So absolutely, um, uh, absolutely, he has the right, and not only the right, but that is that is what he should do. I, I would just add that Ramosha has a tshuva, of an individual who lived in B'nai Brak, and there's a question on, on electricity, and he wanted to argue with the Chazonish. He felt he went through the Sugi very, very thoroughly, and he went to the Chazonish's tshuva, but he feels that, uh, he feels a different psaq is, is available. And he wrote to Ramosha, can he do it? Ramosha said, absolutely, because that's Torah. Torah is understanding what we are chayef to do. Then let me ask you a question, a follow-up, because you said he understood the sugya very, very thoroughly. There are some people who would argue it's not enough to understand a sugya very, very thoroughly, but you have to actually understand all sugyot very, very thoroughly, because who knows, maybe if you're doing, let's say, something in Hilchot Tzfila, something about davening, 
it could be that there is some law in Ezuneshech regarding the laws of interest in Baba Metziah that you couldn't imagine, but it actually might have some bearing upon that. And unless you're expert everywhere throughout the Torah, then you're making your own decision in a certain area is foolhardy or worse. So would you agree with that or not? Well, that's why I, I, that's why I stress you have to keep going back to your Rebbe and to the other uh, Rav and show him what your questions are and ask him, what do you think I'm doing wrong? Why are you not accepting my psak? Now, if he says, like you say, well, there's a Gemara over here, uh, Gemara in Zvachim. So then you have the responsibility to look up that Gemara, then come back to him again. So you have to discuss the topic with your Rebbe, with another Rav, that's a Talmud Chacham. And then the bottom line is, the final decision is in your hands. And let's look at it from another, from another angle for, uh, for a minute. How do you know to follow your Rebbe? What makes you so sure that following your Rebbe is the right halacha? Because you follow the law of Masara, which you understand that a person should follow his Rebbe, but that same law of Masara tells you that you have to learn the sugya. You have to understand what you're doing. Now, if you say, listen, it's too complicated for me. Uh, he brought down this Gemara and Zavachim, very difficult Gemara. I don't understand it. Then you're right. He has to stop there and follow his Rebbe. But if he reviews and, and researches and works hard on the topic, and finally he, he feels that his understanding of the topic is not like his Rebbe, but like the other Rav or some other support, then of course he could, then of course not only can he do it, but, but he should do it. Uh, one of the things that Rav Moshe said many times is that he wrote these lengthy chuvos. He brings proofs and riots. He didn't just write muta asa, can you do this muta asa? He said, because you shouldn't do it because I said to do it. Shouldn't do it, oh, Rav Moshe says to do it. That's why you should do it. No, he said he wrote it so you should understand what his psak is on and you should review it and, under, and understand it. But if you feel that, no, you have a question on him and it doesn't, his psak doesn't make sense, then of course you have the right. And not only the right, but you should follow your, your understanding after it has been thoroughly reviewed. Okay, well, you've mentioned Rabbi Chait in these cases where there's one Rebbe who says X and another Rebbe who says Y. What about a situation where a new case comes up and one Rebbe says X and another Rebbe says Y and you want to say Z and you've done careful research and you don't have another person who necessarily supports you, you're still convinced that you're right. Is there room to make your own decision in that situation as well? Yes, I would also say absolutely, but I would make the following stipulation. Let's say a person wants to uh, hold like the Gras, um, do halacha like the Gras, and he can't find anybody else. All his Rebbeim say, no, we don't pass him like the Gras. He still has the right to say, I am doing like the Gras. He has found support. He finds support in the meaning of the Gras. Uh, you cannot say it's us that follow like the Gras. Absolutely not. As Rebbe may say, well, we don't accept the Gra, that's not the Minigayom, that's this. But once he has a Torah authority like the Gra, absolutely he can follow the Gra. And Ramosha made that clear many times. Person wants to do Minigagra, of course, how could you say it's us to do Minigagra? Unless the Rebbe shows him where the Gra made a mistake, obviously, which I doubt. And he understands what the Rebbe says, and he says, yes, that you have a good kasha on the gra, then he shouldn't follow the gra. But if he says, I looked at the gra, this is the minigah gra, and I want to follow it. Absolutely, he, he, he should follow that minute because he's comfortable, he understands it, and now he has the support of the gra. You don't need any greater support than that. But on the other hand, if you can't find anybody, I'm, what I mean is you can't find any of the Rishonim, can't find uh, any of the great uh, Achronim that go along with his view, then he has to surrender his Das to the Das of the Poskim that are directing him, that are directing him today. Actually, one time I discussed that with Ramosha. And I said, why can't a person not argue with all Rishonim? Why can't I say, uh, no, I find the new chat, all the Rishonim are wrong. So Ramosha said, that is true. He looks at it from his logical point of view. But the biggest question you have on him, how is it possible that all Rishonim missed his point? 
That is the biggest question that shows he must be making a flaw. So when he says all Rishon was wrong, Rambam, Rashi, Tosas, the driver, they're all wrong. So the question is, how is it possible that all these giants made a mistake? That's the biggest proof for Moshe told me that he is making a, there's a flaw in his thinking. But on the other hand, if he has the Ravid, he has the Rambam, he has Rashi on his side, and everyone agrees that's what they say. Everyone agrees that she does Rashi, that she's a, she does a Ravid, and he feels comfortable, or he feels that's the way I want to go, and that's the way I feel. I like to follow Psak. Absolutely. You cannot stop him. He has that right, and he has that Chiyav to follow the, what he understands. That's very interesting. Thank you for explaining that. Let me ask you about some of the codified law that we have. For example, let's say somebody looks at the Mishnah Brura and the Mishnah Brura says one thing. Then he looks at the Aruch HaShulcha and the Aruch HaShulcha says something quite different. Can a person choose among the Mishnah Brura, the Aruch HaShulcha, or other more modern Achorodim and say, I relate to this one. I'm speaking now not about somebody who does research, but someone who says, I'm not going to bother my rabbi. I'm not going to bother the person I asked my Shilas to. Why can't I follow the Mishaburah in this particular case? It seems to make sense to me. Or even on things that you can look up and someone already did the research. I'm speaking about the Aruch HaShulchan or the Mishaburah, this example. They did the research for you. Your job is to choose A or B. Am I allowed to do that or do I have to do the research or ask a Rav? So in that case, I would say you have to do the research or ask the Rav. Actually, again, going back to uh, to the, the years I learned uh, by Rav Moshe, when the computer era was uh, first reaching uh, the Torah world, and I had a discussion with him, and he said the, the problem, actually, the story was that they came from Barilan University to ask Rav Moshe if they could put his chuvis on their, um, I forgot what they called their, their disc, whatever it was called. The, the CD-ROM back then. So, so Rav Moshe gave an interesting answer. Rav Moshe said... I'm not going to say it's uh, uh, I'm not going to say it's asa. I'm not makbid, but I'm not going to give you askama. Said that's it. I won't give you askama, but I'm not going to say it's asa. Okay, they were happy and they left. Uh, it looks like they walked out. They're afraid he may change his mind, and that's all they wanted. And <laughs> and it, the troopers went on to their their uh, whatever it was called CD ROM, whatever it was called. And then the car on the way home, where's her emotion? Why he gave that strange sock? So he said, on one hand, he said, he sees the danger of computer is going to change the nature of sock. You have a question, you put it in, and they'll say, 13 say muta, 2 say asa. Okay, I got 13. Without knowing what the sick is talking about. Or you might need a hat, and you say, oh, you found a hat, you found this uh, safer at the end, uh, a sofa brings down muta, I can say muhan a sofa. So that's not the way, that's not the way for psak. Psak means you have to understand what you're doing, or you follow your Rebbe. Or if you don't, if your Rebbe is not around you, obviously, you could, uh, the minig is to accept the, accept the Mishnah Bro, you follow Mishnah Bro. Yeah, a person follows Mishnah Bro, uh, absolutely, you can't say he's wrong. But Ramosha, on the other hand, he didn't want to say it's us, he said, because there could be a Talmud Chacham who's using the computer to see if the other Svaras in the area. Now, he may want to see my Svara, and that may help him think and change his mind. So he didn't want to, on one hand, close the door for people to do uh, uh, good and in-depth research. He wanted to make that available, and that, the computer certainly is very helpful. But on the other hand, he didn't want Psak to come just a Google, I call it uh, the Google Rav. Google him, and there you get, oh, I found the head there, yeah, you can be saying on this. And that. So he wanted to maintain the integrity of Torah, meaning to learn Torah, and when you understand Torah, that is the best Psak. Okay. Now, you've explained a lot, and you've mentioned many times the idea of asking your Rebbe or not asking your Rebbe in a given case. So let's talk about Asay Lecha Rav. How is that put into practice? How does one determine who his Rebbe is? What does that even mean, your Rebbe, the person you ask? So that would mean, and remember, the idea of Lecha Rav, that is to keep the Masorah. We are a nation of Masorah. We do Ish Mi Pi Ish Mi Pi Ish. Um, the Ram at the end of... Uh, of Hilchus uh, Shemitah V'yovel, he says he has the cheshman of when, when Shemitah is, uh, we're doing the wrong year. Uh, he has the cheshman off by a year. But the Ramadan says, what can I say? We have Masorah, ish mi pi ish mi pi ish. And that this is the year that we accept, and that's it. He succumbs to the Masorah. So we have to always hold tight to the Masorah. And that's why I say the Harav. Because you learn from another Rav, learn from another Rav, from another Rebbe, and you're part of the Masorah. So that's his starting point. He must find a Rav who he respects. 
he must find it could change he could change Rabbanim as time goes on. He gets older, he likes another derach, he sees more appreciative of his Torah, he likes a new Rebbe's uh, chidushim. So he could say this I I I I relate to him better. But he must have a rough. He must be able to say, this is my Rebbe. And then he starts from there. Uh, he takes on a new question. He goes to his Rav, asks him his opinion, tells him his Chiddush, explains what he wants to do, and then let that follow through, see where it leads. If the Rebbe convinced him that he's doing the wrong thing, this is what I should do. And he says, yeah, now I understand what I have to do. But if after all the discussions, he says, no, I still think my shot is right. I understand it. I heard my Rebbe, but I disagree with him. Then he should follow his shot. Can a person have more than one Rebbe? Meaning, I follow a particular Rav when it comes to Orachayim, but I listen to a different Rav in my questions in Choshen Mishpat, for example. Or does it have to be one Rav across the board if you're going to call him my Rebbe? No, it could be multiple. You could say this Rav, I, he understands Choshen Mishpat clear as could be. He's he's a dying. He really understands the depth of Choshen Mishpat. And I like the way when I ask him a question, his answers. I like what he the sharpness of his answers. So for Choshen Mishpat... That's his field. I'm going to follow him. I can say for Archaim, I follow another of. So, yes, absolutely. A person has to be satisfied. He has to know why I'm doing something. Now, if a person doesn't know the sugya, so he starts off, well, I do a question of I have no idea what the sugya is about, but listen, I follow Mishabura. Okay, that's the beginning. But if he says, I want to understand more, and he begins to go into it and sees the depths of it and says, no, I think this time I see this far of the Archashulchan. To me, it makes sense. I understand what I'm doing. To me, it's logical. The Orochoshulchan, the way he described the Gemara, that's what I want to do. So that, that's his responsibility to, uh, to, follow, uh, to follow that path. Okay. I'm going to get a little more into this in a bit, but I want to ask you now, while we're speaking about this, what about consulting Gedolim? Sometimes I've heard, and I live in Ramat Beit Shemesh, which has its own culture, but sometimes I've heard people say, how could you argue against the Gedolim? And the fact that my Rav might say differently than whatever they consider the Gedolim with a capital G, they say that seems to be a problem. I think it's a cultural issue where people say, how dare you argue against, I'm not going to mention a particular Gedolim, but what whoever the Gedolim actually are. And I find that troubling. I want to know what you think about that. Actually, I would start from the point that uh, the essence of Torah is MS. We always say Hashem Lokecha MS. That's the foundation of Torah. We know our Torah is MS, 1,000%. Now, the Rambam, interesting Rambam, in the end, in the uh, Perak design of Hilchus Kiddush HaChodesh, at the end of the Perak there, he brings up a problem that uh, calculating the, the months when it's going to be, and so on and so forth. One day Rosh Chodesh, two days Rosh Chodesh. So the Rambam at the end there says that we lost, um, we really lost our Masara because the Masara, which is given to us in Hasina, we, we lost it. And our mathematics is based on the mathematics of the Greek of the Greeks. They were uh, they were had tremendous understanding of the of the solar system, and that's the mathematics we use. And he adds, it makes no difference if. Our understanding of events is based on the words of Nevi'im or based on the words of Goyim. Anything that is true, we adhere, we stick, we accept truth. That's our Torah, to search for truth. Now, that means to say that uh, when Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur well, and Yom Tovim, when they come out, it's not based on the mathematics of that we received in our Sinai. It's based on the mathematics of the Greeks. So we could ask, well, you know, how, how are we doing it? We, we, we lost that Masorah at that point. But the Rambam is telling us, true, we lost the Masorah, but we discovered truth. And truth is equal to the words of Nevi'im. And therefore, when we dive in our Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, we know we chose the right day because we have it based on truth. Actually, what the Rambam is saying is that the reason why we adhere to Nevi'im so well, because we know their words must be truth. So the, the underlining line is truth. When Navi speaks, we know he's saying the words of truth. So it's not that the Navi said it, but we have the ability to receive truth. And that's what we have to follow. Actually, Rambam also mentions that in his Agdama to Avos, where he says he left out uh, names. He didn't quote many of his ideas. Of course, we know in the Moronavuch was based on Aristotle, but in others, he said, I didn't quote any names. Because sometimes people say, oh, this one says it. Uh, hey, he's a guy. What does he know? So he left out all names. He says, Shema'a emes mimi shama. So the essence is, listen to the truth. It doesn't make a difference who says it. But if we know it's true, that's what we have to follow. So now, 
in our situation in today's uh, times, uh, we go and ask uh, uh, always for advice, which is a good idea to ask for advice, but a person has to feel, is this the right advice? Am I doing the right thing? And the, the truth of the matter is, if we go through history, we see that uh, a lot of times uh, it was not the best thing to follow the G'daylum. Uh, people should have made up their own minds. We could start with the Chayta Egel. They had plenty of G'daylum, which say, give the gold. Give, well, let's make a, let's make an Egel. And those who followed Aaron Akain, uh, they were wrong. They, that, 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 was, that was the cause or part of the cause of Chayta Egel. Now, why Aaron did, that's another story that Mepharshan explained. They wanted to start with that. That's Aaron's, uh, he, that, that's his decision. But we, when Aaron Akain and, and the Gedolim say, let's make Chayta Egel, say, one second, the Torah said, should be like Yeshua Benun. Uh, Yeshua Benun stood up and said, it can't be. Rabbi Akiva, he believed Bakacha was Mashiach. 100%. He believed Bakacha was Mashiach. Then he saw he made a mistake. So Gedolim do make mistakes. And actually, if you if you go down the line closer to us, uh, Shabzai Tzvi, uh, many Gedolim supported him. And they made they, they made a terrible mistake. And they retracted as time went on. And even looking at our modern, our modern times, pertaining to Eretz Israel, many Gedolim were against coming to Eretz Israel. And many Gedolim at the same time were against coming to America. And the two most powerful places of Torah today, actually, I'd say the most powerful place where Torah is coming from is Eretz Israel. I would say second is America. And there was an era uh, during the war, or even after the war, that they were, they were putting an Issa to go to Eretz Israel and to go to America. They used to say, if you go to America, one kid in your family will, be, will, will, will come not religious. Uh, but nevertheless, we see that they were wrong, that decision was wrong. So people must reach their own decision, bring all the facts together, and have to decide for yourselves. HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us we have to learn Torah, and this final decision is up to us. Okay, I'm a bit confused about one issue. When you talk about Torah being entirely based upon emet, upon truth, sometimes truth in Mesorah can actually be, so to speak, at loggerheads. Let me give you an example. I believe, as I understand it, Rav Soloveitchik was against the idea of wearing techelet on tzitzit. Why? We don't have a Mesorah. We have no such tradition. On the other hand, many people, religious people who are also scientists and who've done a lot of research will say, whether or not it's the Mesorah, whether or not the Mesorah was broken, this is definitely the Chilazon, this is definitely the original Techelet. Now, regardless of whether they're right or wrong, that's not even my point. But here we have a situation where we can say there is something which is arguably truth. And Rav Salvechik says, as far as I understand, I don't really care. The Mesorah was broken, and therefore it doesn't matter if it's objectively a truth. It's not part of the Mesorah. So which one takes precedence, Mesorah or truth? So that is actually, as you're mentioning, uh, the debate. Uh, Rav Salvechik held that we cannot reinvent the Mesorah. But now the question is, uh, what do we do about the, about the, the Yom Tovums based on the calculations of the Greeks? So there, there was no other choice. There, the Chachmei Ador, uh, the Rambam, and everyone else followed the mathematics of the Greeks. And they decided that now we must, there's no other choice. We, uh, Ace Lassos, we must preserve Yadus. If we don't have a calendar, there will not be Yadus anymore. So their decision of the Gedolomet, that generation, that time onwards, accepted their, the mathematics of the Greeks and we could say they reintroduced the Mesorah, and they were confident that they did the right thing. So now we follow the, those Gedolim. But Rav Salvechik is saying is that we want to go now and introduce Tchelis, but but we we're not we're not we have Tzitzis, we have the, the mitzvah of Tzitzis, and and the Mesorah is here. We're not giving we're not losing a mitzvah. It's not that there won't be any more mitzvah of Tzitzis anymore. That we're not doing. The question is, we want to put on a chumrah. You want to put on a chumrah, that our salvation says you can't do without the Mesorah. We actually see a, a similar point uh, regarding the Mizbeach. Uh, the Briskarov brings down that that three Nevi'im came with uh, with Ezra back to Eretz Israel, and one was to show him where the Makam of Mizbeach is. So the question is, if we know the perimeters of the Harabayas, we should be able to figure out where the, where the Mizbeach is. Uh, it's simple mathematics. So Briskarov says, no, the Mizbeach must be through Masara. It must be ish mi pi ish mi pi ish. We cannot 
reconstruct Mizbech based on our knowledge. It must be ish mi pi ish mi pi ish. And therefore you needed a Navi. Navi to show that was Mina Karshbarho. This place was chosen not because we figured it out, because Karshbarho said, this is the place you should build a Mizbech. So the Briskraf said, you cannot reinvent the Masorah. If, if you want to construct a Mizbech, it must be the Masorah of Ishmi Pishmi Pish. So he held at that point that we cannot reinvent the Masorah. On the other hand, we see other Gedolim want to say that uh, we could uh, re, re, uh, reconstruct the Masorah. So that, that comes a, a, a very important, powerful machlokus between great Gedolim. And here's a situation where a person has to say, what am I going to do? So if he goes through the suga and he says, I think our salvation makes sense, or he says, no, uh, I think the other good thing makes sense, that's up to him to make that decision. Or if so, I don't know what to do, then ask your Rebbe and follow what your Rebbe says. Let me ask about authority and autonomy when it comes not to halacha, but to shkafa, to Jewish thought and to the way we interact thinking-wise with the world. Is there a need for a Rebbe in Hashkafa? By, by that I mean, obviously, we can't just make anything up we want, but is there more leeway, let's say, for me to have autonomy in the way that I think when it comes to Jewish thought, unlike Halakha, where there's actually a, a nafkamina lamase, where it actually matters in terms of what I do? Is there more flexibility, I should say, when it comes to autonomy versus authority in Hashkafic matters? So uh, Hashkafa is an area, since it's abstract, so it's hard to find concrete situations, but sometimes it's uh, very, very relevant. A person could have the wrong understanding about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and if he thinks that Kodesh Baruch Hu has physical features um, or physical emotions, uh, then he's uh, he's uh, involved in, in outright kfira. And he's, all, his tfil- all his tfilos have absolutely no value because he, he's being mispalo to not the God of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, he's mispalo to a made-up God that he himself introduced. So an area like that, he must stick closely to the Mesorah or a Mesorah. So to come a homespun philosopher, and you can't support it in any of the Rishonim, uh, let's say he doesn't find in the Maravuchum, uh, he, he doesn't find the Chovos Levavos, then he has to stick with the Mesorah. He has to find a Rishon, a, 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 a outstanding Gadol, which would support his idea, because he could drift into the area which uh, he will be classified as a Kofi Bisodi Adas. And then on the other hand, if he hears a debate between Tamid Chachamim on how we understand things in philosophy, so he has two uh, uh, outstanding Tamid Chachamim arguing in a philosophical point, then once again he has to research it and he has to feel comfortable that he feels this is the right approach I should have to my understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he's able to support it with Rishonim, be it the Ibn Ezra, be it the Rambam, uh, and he feels this is what this is what I understand the meaning of Elkev Ramakei Yitzchak, Elkei Yaakov, then of course you should follow that approach. All right, I want to ask you, Rabbi Chait, about authority when it comes to public policy. So we're moving out of halacha, out of hashkafa, and now into, for example, whom I should vote for. This comes up very often in Israel. We have elections. There are religious political parties here, and some of those religious political parties will effectively or implicitly say, you should vote for us because the gdolim, again, define as you will, say to vote for our party. More than one party does this. And my question is, to what degree should I consult an authority, a rabbi, when it comes to things that are outside the realm of strict halacha and hashkafa, and before I hand it over to you, I think some people would say, what do you mean? Who to vote for is very much a halacha question. So what do you think about that? So I would certainly uh, agree there is a halacha component in vote in voting, and not only in Eretz Israel, which is obvious, but even in America, different votes change uh, policies where, where schools are getting... Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, from the government, which supports Torah. So there is a halacha component, which must be uh, taken in, into account. But then again, the bottom line is, a person, after he takes that into account, he could say, no, this policy is not good for, for Torah. This policy may be making a, a, a chil Hashem. I think a chil Hashem is worse than the advantage you may, one may uh, get from following uh, the, the Gedolim. Um, maybe I would like to say 
that uh, as to express my idea a little better, the Balamor writes, because he took on the riff. The Balamor was 19 years old and he took on the riff. And the riff at that time was known as the, the Godel of the Godelum of, of Kleisrael. The Rambam says he only made 10 mistakes in his life, the riff. That's how great the riff was. So in his Hagdama, the Balmor writes, in his Hagdama, it bothered him. How could he take upon the riff? And he didn't want anybody to think that he didn't respect the riff. So he quotes the words of Aristotle. Aristotle was a student of Plato. And Plato was his Rebbe for, for many, many years. Then Aristotle deviated from his teacher, which he admired so much. And he had the problem, how can I deviate from my teacher? So he said, I love my teacher, Plato. I love you dearly. But truth, I love more. So the Balamor says, that's what I feel. I love the riff. I honor him. I respect him. But what can I do? I love truth more. And if I think this is truth, I have a chiv to express my ideas, to show that I want not only myself to follow truth, but I want others to follow truth as well. So applying that to our situation today with politics or with really any of the fields, a person has to respect the gedolim. Of course, they're great tamidachachamim, but the bottom line is a person has to feel, I have to make the decision. What I feel is best for Klai Israel, and this is what I feel. If I feel the gedolim making a mistake, I should vote for a different party. And like I said, we do see that gedolim make mistakes. Gedolim are not Nevi'im. The Tkufa Nevi'im has ended after Tereasa. They're smart people, they're outstanding, they're tzaddikim, and, 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 and we look up to him. But a person has to say, I'm looking for truth. And to me, I feel their policy will not be best for Klai Israel. Whatever the reason is, it'll create a Chil Hashem, it'll create sin, it'll create that. And I feel strongly the policy is wrong. He definitely has that right and should follow what he feels is truth. I think listeners to this podcast will know that I do agree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate regardless. I'm going to read from a book entitled The Eye of the Storm by Rabbi Aaron Feldman from a chapter entitled Rabbinic Authority, Das Torah, and I'd like to hear what you think about this. Here's the quote. What so-and-so fails to understand is that only the halachic authority of the Sanhedrin and the Talmudic sages is absolutely binding. Halachic opinions by, say, the Rambam, Vilna Gaon, or Chazun Ish gain their authority simply from a universal recognition that their greatness and vast command of every aspect of Torah law, compared to our own, outweighs our opinion. This does not derive from any special mitzvah, still less from any belief that they enjoyed metaphysical inspiration. We are not sinners if we dispute their views, merely arrogant fools. To use an analogy... When faced with a medical decision, we are not obligated to obey a specialist's instructions if we feel that another procedure would be better. But if we decide to follow our flimsy medical knowledge against his, we are certainly fools. Thus, the distinction which so-and-so makes between halacha and non-halachic matters is irrelevant to post-Talmudic opinions. We may decide to agree or disagree with them in either case. However, if we do decide to accept the halachic decision of the post-game in each generation, then by the same token, we should grant the post-game the same authority in every area, since their greatness in Torah enables them to make better decisions than we can make. We should consult them in any case where Das Torah is generally consulted. He's saying something quite different from what you're saying. He says you can do it. It's not forbidden. It's just foolish to do it because we have to trust that they understand the situation better than we do. I'd like to hear how you respond to that opinion. Yes. So I, I would uh, uh, absolutely uh, disagree, because how could we expect a Godel, whom, who, um, uh, outstanding Godel, who has knowledge of everything, but a person has cancer? Now, does the Godel know all the, all, the, all the medical information that's available today? Is he up to date with, with all different cancer drugs? Is he up to date with all new technology that can be used? I was a Rav in Muncie for 10 years. And of course, uh, unfortunately, we have a, a killer. People get sick, people get cancer. And if someone, someone asks me what, what, what they should do, I say, I'm not a doctor. How can I give information when I, when I don't know? How could a, a, a Godel suggest ideas that he is not up to date or involved in the medical practices that, 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 that are taking place today. The Rambam, he went to study medicine. He did not pick out medicine from the Torah. He knew, and not only the Rambam, we have a, the Ramban was, was in medicine. Tremendous Gedolim went into medicine and they gave their medical advice based on what they learned 
in their medical uh, uh, teachings, whether it was a school or was uh, private uh, teaching. So you see that the great Gadom, they said, if, if areas that we don't know, we, 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 ha- we absolutely have to go, have to go and learn and, and, and learn how, how to do it. Maybe I could just give a, uh, a little example. I know growing up, uh, you always have problems of infertility. Uh, it's a very hard situation. People want to have children, obviously, uh, besides the mitzvah, it's a natural instinct. And they, and the, and the, always is the problem. When I grew up, people would go around for a bracha and then you hear a story that uh, this Rebbe, whatever it was, gave a bracha and she got pregnant, she had a child, you know, another story, so on and so forth. But look at today, what the science has done. What we were talking about, a Rebbe was successful at bracha, one or two people eventually came pregnant. Today we have, because of medical science, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of women who are, who are infertile, couples are infertile, are now having children by the thousands. I don't think you could find one Rebbe that was able to produce such results on such a massive level that someone would say, you don't have, you don't have a child, go to this Rebbe and have a child. I, I never heard such a story that, that he had such success with hundreds of thousands of people because technology has increased and has grown and is so successful that the birth rate is unbelievable. So you see, that you have to go after, after what's truth. Like the Ram says, you have to what's MS. And MS is the person who studies the area. He will know best. That's why the Rambam took off time from learning to come a doctor. That's why the Ramban, that's why other Rishon, Sephora, many Rishon took off time from learning to come a, 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 enter the medical field so they would have the knowledge how to treat, handle, and advise people. So it all boils down to MS. We have to search for the truth, no matter what it is. And it's our responsibility. The people who are at the Chayt Eagle could not say, well, listen, I wish I'm a Hanar and a coin. No, you were, every one of them was responsible to say one second. Aaron O'Coin is giving me advice, but the Torah says, uh, no, I have Yeshua Benun. I should have switched over to Yeshua Benun. So everyone is responsible. Putting the responsibility on somebody else will not absolve you from your own personal responsibility. Okay, and I'll certainly agree with that and add that I'm actually really bothered, not so much by the questions, because people ask rabbis all sorts of questions, but sometimes by what appears to be the willingness of certain people to answer the questions rather than telling them, that's outside my field. I'm not a doctor or even in certain other areas. There are questions I suppose we can ask that are, they skirt the line between Judaism and something else. For example, if somebody says, should I name my child Moshe or Aaron, you know, or something like that, or not based on any halachic question. Obviously, there are certain names that there might be a halachic question about whether you can name that person, but assuming it's not a halachic issue, it bothers me that people sometimes ask the question, and sometimes it bothers me that rabbis are willing to answer them rather than telling them, you shouldn't be asking me this, you need to be autonomous in that matter. I think that people are always looking for security. We grow up, right? We, we rely on our parents. We're not, we do not have to make decisions. Uh, from what clothes we should go to school today, our mother puts out, this is what you're going to wear today. That's it. And we put it on. Of course, you get older, you want you, your, your own idea comes in. But we f- have that security from youth that when, that when our, our parents tell us what to do, we are secure. That's the right answer. And as we grow up, we're looking for that security. We, are, we, we, we feel comfortable when, when the guy doesn't know to call Moshe Irony. He says, Rebbe, Moshe is a better name. Oh, he feels sure it's a better name. But that's an emotional thing. That makes a person emotionally feel better. But it has nothing to do with what's right or what's wrong or, 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 will, or will it affect the child in one way or another. It has absolutely uh, uh, nothing to do with anything. So, uh, but a person, has to, a person has to understand his own makeup, his own psychological makeup. And if he's looking for security, he's, he won't be satisfied until he gets someone that gives him, that says, this is, this is the name that you should use. Then he feels comfortable. But a person who knows that's only a psychological satisfaction. Uh, he'll choose the name as he feels more, com- more comfortable with. Uh, they, they tell a story, I don't remember, was it Um Gudel? Yeah, came to him with, with two S. Rogum, and uh, one had a little uh, a better color, one that was a little straighter, and they both were Mudurim. And he asked the Gudel, uh, which one should I pick? And the Gudel looked at them both and said, you know, that question, ask your wife. 
she'll tell you. <laughs> and, and that's a good answer. It comes a point, they're both muhuda. It's up to what you like, nothing to do with halacha. You're ready, you got muhuda, you don't, there's nothing more than that. Uh, so people always are looking, not always, but frequently to, for, for, for security. And if God will say, this one's better, ah, he's sure that one's better. That's a person's own psychological makeup. And he has to realize that. And some people can't break off from that. Uh, it's and, and it's a good majority of people cannot break off from that. Uh, they say, listen, you know, there's nothing to do with the guttle. I'm I'm satisfied when I think this esrog is better. I enjoy it better. And that's the path that he should follow. I think one of the issues that also relates to that is the fact that sometimes, and perhaps this is a Hasidic tendency that's infiltrated in other areas, but this idea of putting a Rebbe in the center of somebody's world. Now, obviously, in the Hasidic world, the Tzadik, the Rebbe, holds a position which he doesn't ostensibly in the Litvish or Yeshivish world, although I think that may be changing. But I'm bothered by the fact that at times people put the Rebbe in a place where it seems to me, and I'm not Hasidic, so maybe it's not fair for me to judge this, but it seems to me that Hashem should be the center of the world, not the Rebbe. And I've heard people talk about how the Rebbe is the center of their world in a way which I find to be problematic, not just from a, a leadership level, but maybe even on hashkafic and halachic level. We can't look at the center of our world being a Rebbe. The center of our world has to be Hashem. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think you put it uh, uh, precisely and, and, and correctly. The center of the world is supposed to be a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And what has happened over the long gullus that we suffered, people began to gravitate for something that they felt that they could feel more confidence in or more secure, like I was saying before. And what, what, what has happened is we have drifted away from Akash Baruch is the center of the world to uh, the Rebbe or going to a grave. Uh, go, davening by graves is a big halacha problem. Uh, uh, first, you're not allowed to daven within Dalai Ramos. The Ramam says you're not allowed to have an in-between between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's another topic by itself. But really, we should be davening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But we have drifted away from that. I believe it's because long years of gullus and the tsaras that we had and people needed something more tangible that they could come to quickly. And they began to to drift in that area. Actually, in one conversation I had many years ago with Ravar and Salvechik, um, he was telling me that that the, the Litvisher were known in Europe. You now they make up their own ideas. Uh, I remember when when there was time for elections, we would talk to our Moshe about it, who you voted for. We never felt that for Moshe to vote for Reagan, you have to vote for Reagan. No, it was a nice conversation. And then when and then we'd say, no, our Moshe feels this. Well, nah, I think he's making a mistake. We're able to to think more independently. So Ban Salvechik told me that the Litvishers are gone. Everyone came Hasidim over the years. That changed, and everyone, uh, the Hasim the have their Rebbe, this one has this Rav, this one has this Gadol. The independent thinker is, I would say, is uh, probably on the government's uh, rare species list. And we, for, for, for whatever reason, that changed because, I believe, because of, because of the long Golas. And I think that now that we're back in Eretz Israel, we have to push hard to reverse it and to know that we have a Karsh Bracho as our center, center of mitzvot, Torah, and and divrei rav, divrei talmud, divrei divrei mishalem. We listen to our Kodesh Baruch That has to be our goal. That has to be our center. It's very interesting that you say that, and I realize this isn't really our topic, but I'll say it anyway. I was talking to my wife, Eliza, a couple days ago about people who believe strongly in sugulot, a sugula like putting a kinachala or a million other examples. And we were saying that it's commonly said by many people about those who really believe in these segulot, these people have such bitachon, they have such trust in God, they really believe this. And my response to that was, and again, I'm not judging anybody, I know they mean well, but my feeling is on an intellectual level is that's not bitachon, that's believing in a magic trick. Bitachon is davening to Hashem and believing in Hashem. If you believe that doing the following segula, whether it's drinking wine at a wedding or whatever else, might cause the following result, you're actually saying, I'm going to circumvent God and force the world to work the way I want it to work through some magic trick, rather than saying, if I want Hashem to do something for me, I'll daven to Him and leave it up to Him. To me... Although it feels like bitachon for some people, I don't actually think it is bitachon. I agree with you. It's absolutely not bitachon. He's having confidence in some type of uh, skula or some type of uh, ma- magic potion where 
that means where he really should be having betachon in a kosh exactly like you said. A person should mispalo and he has betachon, that kosh will, will hear my tefillah and mispalo that he will answer me. He may not give me the answer I'm looking for, but that will be the final decision. That is in the hands of a kosh And like the Ramam says in the Yudgimel Ikaram, lo levado roi lispalo. That's it. Only to Akash We don't go through anything else. We don't go. Ram holds you can't even be responsible for a malach. That's a big, a big machlokus in, in the Rishonim. It's a big debate. But the Rambam's opinion is if a person asks a malach to be to carry his tefillah, to assist in his tefillah, Ram holds that's Ivan of It can't be done. It's Ivan of uh, And And today we have the, the big problem of, uh, of, of uh, running to graves. You, you never find in Tanakh. Not one story in Tanakh, in actual Tanakh, that anybody went to Mispal by a grave. Now, of course, they have the Gemara of Kol of Ben Yifuni went to the Kev of the Avos. That's not the Tanakh. That's the Gemara. And the explanation, actually, Ban Salvechuk told me an explanation that was because he wanted to show he's part of the Masorah, not to Mispal to the grave. Once said, Kodesh Baruch we're on a very precarious mission. I want to carry out the Masorah of these Avos. These of us who are buried here, I want to carry out the Masara. So that that was the only time that we had someone went to a grave to to uh, make it part of his trila. And he was also because of that to get Chevron. Uh, so he wanted to be part of the Baal Masara. But we never was in Chevron seven years. We never have one story who went to Davin at the Kivri Ovos. And actually, um, uh, the Rambam says uh, he has a statement uh, that it's, uh, it's us to go back to a grave. And the Keshav Mishnah there points out what the Rambam means. It's Asa to go to a grave to a tzaddik to return. Why is it Asa? Because the tzaddik is known for his Torah. He should be learning his Torah. That That's that's covered for the, for, for, for the tzaddikim. But going to a grave and making him into uh, some type of uh, uh, special way of, of circumventing being the spot of the Baruch that's Asa. And, and using the, the example that uh, I told my Tamita many times on Lag Baoma, what do you have? 200,000 people went to the Keva of Shem Bayi 200,000 people. Now, what, the way the Kesef Mishnah is explaining it, Rav Shem Bayi would say, why, why did he come to my Keva to dance? That's what they come, that's what they need me for, to dance. Not one person says over his Torah. That's Chashiv to the Tzaddikim. The Torah they gave us, that's Chashiv. Going to his grave, is, is is it doesn't make him happy. What makes him happy is we have his Torah. That's what we have to do. So um, so all these things are circumventing, are avoiding the path that we should be following. We should be following the path that we follow our Kodesh Baruch Hu, we follow his Torah, and that's what we have to uh, direct ourselves, and that's what we have to do, and I believe that's what we have to correct. And like I said before, I think the long gullis and the difficulties that we have drove us away from putting up a tochen closely in our brachel, and we began to look for alternative methods. I think that makes a lot of sense, unfortunately, sadly. I want to ask a couple more questions. One of them is about the concept of authority, going back to that idea. It seems very often that authority that a gadol has that the kahal, that the community gives to that gadol, that it is essentially for life, that that gadol is considered the gadol hador, and people follow that authority, however that's defined, until that gadol is no longer with us. And yet we know the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daflam Vav says, Sanhedrin Zakin, you're not allowed to put an old person on the Sanhedrin. And the Rambam Pasch is that halacha, if he's extremely old, however that's defined, Zakin Muflag B'Shanim, a person cannot be on the Sanhedrin, presumably. That should be translated in practical terms nowadays, that we shouldn't be asking our shilas to a gadol who is extraordinarily old. And the Rabbim explains it because he's going to be cruel, not intentionally cruel, but get older, they forget about the problems of being young and some of the problems of children. That's the Rabbim's Lashon, the Achzariyut, he said he's going to be cruel. And my question for you is, at what point should a rabbi say, it's time for me to hang it up? That doesn't seem to happen very often in the world of Gedolim, but perhaps I'm mistaken. Is there a time when a rabbi should say, I realize I'm too old to do this at this point, and you should ask somebody else? Yes, that's a, that's a very interesting point. And maybe I would give this example. The, when Ramosha the Tzal got old, it was hard for him to write. And actually, the last day, if he writes, uh, they wrote down, here Ramosha stopped writing, and the Talmudim uh, took over and began to, uh, to, to write for him. 
And some of the people were critical. They're saying that we don't know it's for sure. That's what that's our Moshe meant. That's what that's what he said. Someone is writing it over. So he asked Rabbi Feinstein as a Tzal, could we rely on the later Chuvos? which Ramosha wrote that he couldn't write anymore. He was all couldn't write anymore, and other people are writing for him, so to say. We line these tshuvas. So David Feinstein gave a beautiful answer. He said, read the tshuva. If it makes sense, <laughs> he said, hey, there's a good spar. It makes sense, then rely on it. If it doesn't make sense, then, then, then you never rely on it. You say, I don't understand it. Why are you relying on something you understand? So read the tshuva. If it makes sense, you should rely on it. I would say the same thing is is in this situation as, as well too. A person is old and you ask him a question and it comes up, it makes sense. He's still uh, uh, logical, as sharp as could be. I would follow it. If he doesn't, you say, well, you know, maybe he didn't understand me. Or I, I, don't, I certainly don't understand him. So I'm not going to follow it. So again, it boils down to a person has to feel confident in himself that he has made the right decision because I understand it. Not because... It was said, like the Ram says, Shema Emes, because this is truth, Mishama. That doesn't matter who says it. But to me, I understand it. I know I'm doing the right thing. And I don't care who it is, but this is the one I'm following, because this to me makes sense. And I'm confident I'm doing the right thing. Okay, Rabbi Chad, I have one final question for you, and this has been so fascinating. But I want to ask sort of on the other side about autonomy and people's autonomy to do whatever they want. My question for you is, at what point, I guess this is really the intersection between authority and autonomy, at what point are we, and I'm not sure who we is, but the public, the authorities, the rabbis, whoever it is, at what point is someone obligated to make a macha, to protest against actions which go against their understanding of the Torah? Let's say somebody does something which you find to be very upsetting, very against Torah law, and presumably in this case, they're not holding by simply an alternate opinion, but they're actually violating the Torah. I know that there is a din of you're supposed to scold and bring people to the right path. I also know that the Chazunish says, for most cases, that doesn't really apply anymore because it's not effective. But in practice, is there a way you can guide us in terms of understanding Autonomy versus authority. When does an authority have the obligation to say, I'm going to speak up and I'm going to stop this particular behavior? And when should he keep it to himself? So I would uh, go back to that Balamor that I mentioned, where he took on the riff and and he quoted Aristotle. And then he makes another point. He quotes, he quotes a... Uh, Quotes a Gemara in Shavuos, where the Gemara is talking that a Talmud is in a, a Bezdin with his Rebbe sitting on on the on the Bezdin, and he and he sees his Rebbe's making a mistake. So the Gemara says that the Talmud says to himself, "What should I do? Should I speak up and say, my dear Rebbe, I think you're making a mistake, or should I be quiet?" And the Gemara says that if he's quiet and does not speak up, he's over midvar sheker tirchak. You're, you're participating in Sheka. You think that your Rebbe's making a mistake and you think that he's giving a, a false shock and you're not speaking up. You have a chayif to speak up and to tell your opinion, to express your opinion. Torah is one's obligation to express their understanding. Now, if everyone wants to argue with you, don't worry, he'll argue with you. But just to keep quiet and not to express your, your opinions, according to, according to the Gemara, you're labeled a chakran. You're fooling people. You're not expressing the right ideas. So we always have a, 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 an obligation to speak up and say, "I think this this is this is uh, this is usa. This should not be should not be followed." And actually, if you want to go back uh, to Hasidim, uh, the whole movement, you know, the growers against it. The grower, of course, the grower obviously was a great guttle, but he spoke up very very strongly. Uh, powerful statements against the movement. And we should use the girl as, as an example. A great God like that, he knew he had to speak up. And that authority to speak up wasn't only given to the G'dalim. The, the, there's uh, Mishpat Echad. We have one Torah for everybody. If God has, feels he has a responsibility, responsibility to speak up, we also have that responsibility. And that's what the Balamor is saying. He spoke up. He would not sit quietly while he felt the riff. We agreed was greater than me, was the Godel of the Godolim. But I have responsibility, the Balamor is saying, to speak up. If not, I'm violating the basic law of the Torah, midvar shekatirachak. And that, I think, is applies to us. We have to follow these examples. And if a person feels that there's a movement or a Godel that's saying something that's contrary to Torah, absolutely has to speak up. Well, Rav Chaim Ozer Che, this has been very interesting and enlightening, and I appreciate your insights, your wisdom, as well as the stories that you told today. There's a lot here to think about. Thank you for joining me today.
And thank you so much for having me on and uh, for for directing us so we could uh, convey a very uh, uh, relevant and, uh, and and serious ideas. Thank you. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.